Good morning, SBC. Uh, I, I know it's dark inside. Yeah, good morning, SBC. Hey, there we go. Um, man, we've just sung some incredible songs this morning. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. You've done great things. You'll do great things. Um, we just sung a song saying, Now, Lord, you're all that we adore. And uh, as I was singing it, I can't help but feel that I wish that for us that would all be true. Um, that such powerful words would resonate in our hearts and it wouldn't just be something that we sing on a Sunday because that's what the band has put up on the screen for us to sing. But it would be something that resonates with our hearts. And I think that's what the book of Mark's about. The book of Mark is about us falling madly in love with this Jesus, finding out who he is, realizing that he is ushering in this kingdom that is powerful, that will advance, but also we have this king in whom we can relate to and who we can adore and who can satisfy the deepest parts of our hearts that nothing in this world can satisfy. And so I, I'm stirred this morning because I hope as we journey through this book that as we sing those songs, it will be more and more true for us rather than just words on our lips but rather that there be the cries of our hearts. We're going to be continuing on, as I said this morning, through the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, we're going to be finishing it off this morning, so that means we've got a big chunk to read. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 45. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 45. It's going to be on the screen behind you, or on, if you're watching online, it will be on your device. But why don't you turn there if you have your Bibles with you, and you can follow me as we read uh, this. As it is, it's a bit lengthy, but uh, try, try to stay focused as we go through it. We're going to be touching on many aspects in this text, not just a, a few. And it says, yeah, and they, Jesus and his disciples, those to whom he has just called, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was, a, uh, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean uh, spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere, throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. The evening, that evening at sundown, they brought him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered uh, together at the door, and he healed many who were sick and various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, 
Let us go to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went uh, throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for uh, your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and uh, to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was in a desolate place. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning after having read your word and, Lord, and having had sung some incredible songs. I pray, Lord, as we do so, that you would resonate in our hearts this wonder of this Jesus. That we would realize the call on our lives that he calls upon us, but also this wonderful compassion that he displays to us. And with this combination of your authority, Lord, and, this com- and your compassion, that we would truly believe and, and truly lay our lives down before you and say we are listening, we are waiting on you, we are waiting on you to call us and send us, uh, Lord, and uh, that we adore you with all our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus and his disciples, Jesus has just called some of his disciples. He's got four of the twelve so far. And they walk into Capernaum and immediately Jesus heads off into the synagogue and he begins to teach. And we see as Jesus teaches this message that those who are hearing Jesus are astonished at what he is saying. They're astonished by what they hear. And the word astonishment here isn't so much that they have been dazzled by Christ and his teaching, but rather it brings with it an odd tone. It brings with it a tone of fear, a bit of an alarm which might have not been what we initially had thought when we read that. But you've got to realize that Jesus is preaching here an incredible message. Jesus is preaching the message that we see in, in chapter 1, verse 15, which Jesus taught. He said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus here is essentially saying that the redemptive plan of God, the, that he has worked through the whole of the Old Testament, through the patriarchs, through the prophets, what they have been proclaiming has come to its fulfillment. It's a, it's a massive statement by Christ. And so as he stands and proclaims that they are shocked at what they hear, but not only by what they hear, but also by how he teaches. Jesus preaches with an authority. And as we journey through Mark and as we consider various characteristics of this Jesus whom we are to follow, one of the major ones that you are going to see is that he is an authoritative king. As he talks about the coming of this kingdom, we realize that he is the king of this kingdom. And so as he speaks, he speaks with one that is authoritative. So when you talk about authority, in this text, we're not, and compared to the scribes, they're not saying that the scribes were boring, but yet Jesus was captivating. I'm sure he was. But that's not the point. 
But rather when Jesus preached this message of the coming of the kingdom, it was one who had a sovereign authority. He wasn't asking you to please consider it, to go away and and debate it and have uh, theoretical reflection upon what he said, but rather he was making an absolute claim of God upon who they were. He was saying it, and that's what it was. And as a result, he, he, he goes and demands a response. This is the true claim of God, and therefore respond, and this is how you will respond. It's, it's quite shocking to them. It's a, a demand of their whole entire person. Jesus is asking them to give every bit of themselves to this kingdom every element of it and that's what it means to repent and believe is to give yourself entirely to this cause and and jesus's claim and call on us today would be exactly the same if jesus were to stand in this pulpit and preach it would be no less not much different besides the fact that the kingdom is not at hand but the kingdom has come and as a result for those who are to be a part of this kingdom This authoritative Jesus demands from us, he commands from us that we would give our entirety, our entire lives to this cause. He's not asking us to consider it. He's not asking us to go home and weigh up the pros and cons and come up with a counter proposal of what would suit us best in our lifestyle. But rather the call of this king on us is that we would give every part of our lives to it. And I think this is something that we need to hear as 21st century Christians. Because so often, I think we have our one foot in and the one foot out. And we do the hokey pokey and we turn ourselves around. We, we don't give ourselves entirely to this thing at all. Rather, when it comes to our Christianity and what is, God has called us to do, we're happy to outsource it. We're happy to outsource our understanding of the Bible to once a week to the preacher. Rather, not saying that preaching is unimportant, it's very important, but in it, we cannot just leave it at that, but rather we need to go dive into God's Word weekly. We outsource raising our children to once a week at Sunday school with Nikki and the team, rather than giving ourselves to raising them up. We outsource missions to those who are professional. We're happy to throw money at it rather than doing it ourselves, even though we ourselves have been called fishers of men. When there's absolute claim on our lives to take it seriously, we rather let others do it on our behalf. We don't mind the call of being a Christian as long as it doesn't uh, affect uh, my holiday and inconvenience that or my free time or take away from me really giving myself to my hobby or the way I approach my business. That ought not to change. But what I want to hear from us this morning is that the call of Jesus on your life, church, is your absolute everything. If we are to follow him like the disciples did, it means that we are to give ourselves completely to it. Completely to it. And, and, I, and I want to say for Mark that this makes no sense, giving ourselves half-heartedly to it. Absolutely no sense at all. To have one foot in is, and to do half-hearted kind of thing doesn't make sense to him in light of who this Jesus is. And it certainly didn't make sense to those he was writing to. 
He was writing to uh, those in Rome who were more likely under the rule of Nero. And to give yourself half-heartedly to Christianity made no sense because to be a Christian meant that there was a good chance that you were going to be fed to wild animals for entertainment of other Roman citizens. Or you would be dipped alive into boiling tar and then put on a stick and lit a light so that you could be a light on the road for the, on the Roman roads. It made no sense just to dabble with Christianity, but rather for the Roman Christian, it meant you have to give everything to it because ultimately it inquires all your life, but also your life might be taken from you. And so for us in this 21st century, it seems a bit odd that we would kind of half dabble in it. But the call of Christ on you and me this morning is this. It's in Mark 8 verses 34 and 36. It says, and, the, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But, ever who, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? We're not gonna, I'm not going to unpack that too much because we're going to preach in that in the, in the coming months. But here is a call to give everything. Do you want to follow Jesus? It means to give your entire life, to take up your cross, to deny yourself. That's what it means to follow Jesus. How often have we fallen into the trap of dabbling here and there rather than giving all of ourselves to Him? But again, we in an age that we find ourselves in, authority is something that we question a lot, right? Maybe the quality of authority that's around, that we wonder whether or not we should listen to uh, those uh, who demand anything from us. But authority for the Romans who would have been reading this letter, reading this uh, gospel, was something that they were incredibly familiar with. Uh, but yet, I think at the same time would have brought a similar question, why should I listen to this Jesus rather than anything else? Maybe different stances, but coming to the same conclusion. And uh, for the Romans, they had Caesar, who would have been incredibly strong. I think if you've ever watched Gladiator and you know the thing that Caesar had amazing authority, he could just stand there and give the thumbs up or the thumbs down to determine one should live. The, the most powerful man in the, in the world at the time, yet demanded much from them to, to not be a part of Christianity at all. So why should they obey Jesus over this um, over, over Caesar. Well, you see, that while Caesar certainly had an authority that was, uh, controlled the physical world, Jesus' authority and his reign goes past the physical. And we see that in our text this morning. Jesus' authority extended even to the spiritual world. We see that as he, the, the man with the demon stands up and, and starts to say, why are you here? Are you here to destroy us? I know who you are. Jesus just simply speaks and says, be silent, come out the man, and the demon listens, he obeys. And the people are astonished because Jesus' contemporaries at the time who tried to cast out demons would have had to call on another name's deity. They would have said special spells and magic words to try in order to get this out. But Jesus doesn't have to do any of that. His authority is he simply says and the demon does. And the reason for us to obey this authority is because it's an authority like no other. While earthly authority can maybe tell us what to do in our physical, Jesus goes, his reign goes past the physical, even into the spiritual. And that means a number of things for us. 
It means that this authority is greater like no other, and therefore he has, his authority comes first and foremost above others. But also, it means that when Jesus demands all of us, it's not only about our physical lives and our possessions, but also he demands our hearts. He demands our spiritual lives. He demands our souls. He demands our desires. He demands our worship. And so this morning, I want you to hear the gravity the gravitas of this call of Christ on us. It's big. It's massive. Give everything, says Jesus. If you want to be part of this kingdom, give it all. But again, we cannot just speak on one side of who this Jesus' uh, character, this one part of Jesus' character, but we need to understand him in his entirety, and maybe that will make it a bit helpful. And I'm grateful this morning for that the Mark chapter 1 doesn't only just emphasize the authority of Christ, but it also emphasizes his compassion. We have an incredibly compassionate king. Yes, he's authoritative and in rightfully so gets to demand our entire lives, but he's also very, very compassionate. And that's seen in the fact that he would cast out demons. I can't imagine the trauma of having a, a being demonly possessed, but Jesus in his compassion does so. He heals many uh, of those who are sick, Simon's Peter's uh, mother-in-law. But here, particularly in this text, it's emphasized for us in the leper. The leper himself comes to Jesus. Look in, in Mark 1, verses 40 to 42, it says this, And the leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling, said to him, If you will, uh, you can make me clean. Moved with pity or, or moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. So this leper comes to Jesus in absolute desperation. You can see that he comes imploring, he comes kneeling at Christ, and he comes and says, Lord, please make me clean. Now, leprosy in Scripture can sometimes just mean skin disease, but I think the desperation in this man shows it's probably more the traditional understanding that we, you and I think of. The, the leprosy of this incurable disease it was a disease that not only attacked the skin, but attacked the blood and the bones. And eventually your bodies would rot and fall apart until you died. It was an incredibly awful disease. And it was infectious, highly infectious. And so it meant that people had to isolate. Don't we get that at this moment in time? They would have, he would have to go away, be by himself. No one could come near him. No one could touch him. He would have to isolate. And no technology to WhatsApp your friends and find out how they're doing on YouTube to keep entertained. It would be something that he would have to do all by himself. It's a horrible way to die. And as he comes, he comes to Christ boldly. He, he takes a chance to come toward Jesus and begs that Jesus would heal him. And Jesus has a compassion. It's a, a gut-wrenching. That's the image. He's moved in his guts as he sees this man's state. And Jesus' compassion is such that he comes along and he touches him. <laughs> he, this man would not have felt a physical touch in ages, but yet Jesus' love is more than he doesn't just say, but he comes and he holds him. He touches him with his hand and says, I will be clean. And as a result, this man's life is not only saved, but is changed. And he goes off. Isn't that wonderful? And I think what's important for us to realize when it comes to Jesus is that he is authoritative and compassionate. These aren't two contradictory characteristics. 
You can be authoritative and you can be compassionate at the same time. In fact, it is the compassion that dr- and the authority behind it that can make this man healed. Jesus, if he lacked the authority, could have had compassion but done nothing about it. But Jesus could have had the authority but lacked the compassion and would have done nothing about it. But when you combine these two together, we find that Jesus is able to come along and save this man's life. And so as we picture this following Christ and this massive claim, as he comes along and he demands our all, It's not this tyrant or dictator, but rather it's a king who loves, who has incredible compassion for us. And you might say, but Joe, that's the leper story. I haven't been a necessarily a recipient of the compassion of Jesus. Some of you might be able to give some stories, but maybe you're racking your brain saying, I can't be as, I, I can't think of Jesus being compassionate like that to me. My friend, if you've come to know Christ, you have been a recipient of a greater compassion. Because we ourselves, like the leper, have had a disease that is deadly, that is incurable, that nobody else could take away, that infected our entire being, our nature, our will, our conscience, our desires, and this disease is sin. And yet Christ in his compassion would come and he would cure us. He would not only just lay his hand upon our flesh, but rather he would leave the glories of heaven and take on human flesh himself. That he would come and he would not only say, take away your disease, be clean, but he would bear that disease upon himself, bear the wrath of God that was meant for us, and through the shedding of his blood, we would be washed clean so that whoever would believe in him can have this eternal life. Not just life again, but eternal, lasting life. If you are a Christian this morning, you have been a recipient of the greatest compassion of Jesus. And so as you hear this massive call of give your whole life, and that might, like those who heard it for the first time, give a bit of fear, give a bit of alarm, make you feel uncomfortable, cross your arms, make you a little disturbed. You must not just see it in light of the fact that he is king, but he is this compassionate king that laid his his life down for you. That he would give his life because of his love for you. And so that means when he calls you to come and to do this massive thing of giving every element to him, surely you can trust him. Surely it is his love that drives him to ask that, that it's not now separate from his character, that he would give his life for you out of love, but then call you to do something that is unloving. His call and His authority is driven by this love. Come and follow me. It is the best thing for you. And it only makes sense that He deserves this kind of worship and this kind of devotion, that He would come and give His life, give us eternal life, and then demand that we give our lives for Him. It only makes a bunch of sense when we do that. And so, yes, this call is big. Oh, but it is wrapped in the love and the compassion of Jesus. And we are to do it because it is the best place for us to be. It brings me to my next point. And I've, I've, just, I've just labeled, I, I couldn't really think of a, a good point, but I called it the leper and the demons. And, uh, and what, what struck me when I was meditating on this, when we were preparing for Mark and preparing for this sermon, is the contrast between the demons and the leper. 
I don't know if you've noticed it. I didn't notice it at first, but as I was meditating upon it, I did. I saw that Jesus commands the demons to keep quiet and they obey him. And Jesus commands the leper to keep quiet and he doesn't. Isn't that quite amazing? The demons listen, the leper doesn't. And we see that in our text. We see it in, in Mark 1, 25 and 27. It says, and, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, talking to the man of the demon. Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirits convulsed in him, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were amazed. They questioned among themselves. So what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits. And they obey him. And again, later on in verse 34, it says, And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And on all accounts, the demons listened to Jesus there. But yet, when it comes to the leper, he is so stern in his charge. It says, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said, See that you uh, say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for yourself the cleansing what Moses commanded for proof them. And he went out and began to speak freely, talk freely about it. <laughs> it's, it's quite incredible. And I think there are a number of reasons for this. And the first one is, and I've, I've nailed it, I've, I've labeled it a compassion, only a compassionate Jesus. And I think this is what happens when we come to Jesus only because we desire his compassionate side. When we come to Jesus because we want our sins forgiven, we come to Jesus because we're struggling with work, we want the, him to come along and help us in our life. We want him to be the compassionate Jesus that is always there to mend and to heal and to help rather than seeing that he is also the sovereign king that demands every part of us. And when we are Christians undermine the authority of Christ, when we want his compassion, but we don't want his reign and rule over our lives, we become like the leper. We experience the good part, but we don't listen to his call. And as a result, what happens is we become more disobedient than the demons. Demons listen, but he didn't. How crazy is that? But I think, the, and then my next point is, and the reason why I think this happens is because it ultimately comes down to a radical difference of understanding who Jesus is. When we look at the text, the, G, the demons knew exactly who Christ was, didn't they? They come along and say, we know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. You are the Holy One of God. They see with clarity who Jesus is. But the rest of those in the story, including the leper, don't. Those in the synagogue, the scribes, and those who heard as Jesus made this command were astonished that he could say such things. But they had not seen that he was God, and therefore they don't respond. We see it was the leper that he probably had heard of Jesus' fame and came to him as a healer, but not, did not see him as the Son of God who demanded his all. And therefore, I've got my healing. You don't know what... You say I mustn't, you be nice and humble, and we're going to go around, run around and tell people about it. And ultimately, what comes down to it is that when we are disobedient, one of the core reasons behind our disobedience is because we haven't quite understood this Jesus who has commanded us to not to do those things or to do it. We have a, a deficiency in our understanding of this Jesus. And I'm hoping that what Mark's going to help us with is that we get to see him with clarity and therefore we can obey. Not only as authoritative, but also as compassionate. And so therefore we come along and do it. Our disobedience is ultimately a, a result of unbelief of who this Jesus is. 
a few of the seasons. And, and, I, and I want to say is that's, and that often leads to us questioning the commands of Christ. It, when Jesus commands us to do something, as he does in this text, he doesn't tell the leper a why. Do you notice that? He doesn't go and say, don't go and tell people because these are the reasons. He just says, don't go. And sometimes the claim and the call of Jesus on our life is to go or don't go or do this and, or don't do this. And he doesn't give an explanation why. And we ultimately have to trust who he is. But the leper doesn't know the reasons, doesn't trust Jesus, and he heads off. And, and the result of it is quite clear in the text, is that what Jesus came to do is suddenly hindered. Suddenly, Jesus, we see in the previous text, Jesus comes not to heal. That's not his primary purpose, but to preach. Jesus isn't able to enter towns and to preach as a result of this man's disobedience because he's so famous, he can't enter towns, he has to stay away from the synagogues, he can't even do that. And he is bombarded with people who want healing rather than there for his primary purpose of trying to heal people's sin and to warn them about the gospel and the coming of the kingdom. But Jesus didn't explain that to the man, he just simply says it and you ought to trust him. Sometimes God tells us things that seem uh, different or don't seem right. Doesn't it seem right the leper should go tell people that Jesus has healed him? Isn't that just an obvious conclusion that that is something that is good? It is good for us to tell people about things. Oh, but Jesus says, I mustn't. Ah, it must be wrong. I'm going to go off. No, no, we've got to trust him even when he calls us to do something that doesn't necessarily sit right in our, seem right to us in our understanding. To trust him as the one who is God. Who is God. Before I move on, I, I want to say, though, that while the demons know Jesus with a, incredible a clarity, you and I are called to a greater knowledge of who Jesus is. You see, the thing about the demonic is they can understand exactly who Christ is in their knowledge, in their head, but they can't ever experience Jesus. The call for the Christian is not to only grow in our understanding in our head, but to know him personally. The call as a Christian is that we can, uh, we can say, this is my Savior. We sung that this morning. That word jumped out at him, my Savior, my God. The demonic can only say that he is Savior, that he is God. The call for you and me is to know him personally. So that's, 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 that's important for us to understand. That when Jesus calls for our entire being, he's not just asking that we would give us uh, all of ourselves, but also that we would come and enjoy all of him. That we would come and know him. It's not just one-sided relationship, but come and enjoy the sweetness and the wonderful uh, delight of knowing God that will satisfy our souls. There's this a quote, um, Katha put it right at the end of the slides, but I'm, I'm going to read it now. Uh, it says this by J.C. Rowell. He says, it says this, Let us heed that our faith be a, a faith of the heart as well as the head. Let us see that our knowledge has a, a, a sanctifying influence on our, uh, our affections and our lives. Let us not only know Christ but love Him from a sense of actual benefit received from Him. Let us not only uh, believe that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, but rejoice in him, to cleave to him with purpose of heat. 
let us not only be acquainted with him by hearing of ear, but daily personal application to him for mercy and grace. The life of a Christian, the life of Christianity, says Luther, consists in possessive pronouns. It is one thing to say Christ is the Savior, it's another, quite another to say he is my Savior and my Lord. The devil can say the first, the true Christian can uh, say the second. Oh, church, the call is to know him, to enjoy him, to delight in him, to, to be there with him, to get to know all of him. That's where purpose is found. But how do we do this? How do we get to know him? What, a, what an incredible task to have. What, what a wonderful privilege. But how do we do that? I think Jesus sets a great example for us in this text. Mark 1 verse 35 says this about Jesus. It says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Did you see how intentional Jesus is? There are the four verbs that talk about his action there, and these are rising, he, he departed, he went, he prayed. This was not haphazard. This didn't suddenly just happen along the way, but he had to intentionally decide to go and spend time with God and go and pray. And I think what's important when we consider this text is that so often, when at least when I've heard this text preached, is Jesus has had a busy uh, day of ministry beforehand, and he's going about to have a busy uh, day of ministry afterwards, and so therefore Jesus went up to pray so that he might be empowered by God to do that, that, that work. And that is partly true, but I think it places an emphasis slightly incorrectly that it says that Jesus' primary, that kind of teaching Jesus teaches us that Jesus' primary purpose is we come to God so that he might help me do. But I don't think that's the heart of Christ in this text. I think in the midst of the chaos and the busyness, Jesus just wanted to get away so that he might have some sweet time with the Father, that he might just enjoy him. Or, and don't hear me wrong, when we do that, when we delight in who He is and just have that fellowship, there comes a strength, a wisdom, a guidance for the day that results out of that, but it's not our primary focus. And we see that with Jesus. I mean, Jesus goes and spends time with Him, and then the disciples come and say to Him, do, do you see all the people that need healing? And Jesus has a sense of clarity after this. I'm not here for this. I'm not here to set up a healing station. I'm here to preach the gospel, let us go. There's a clarity that comes from it, but it comes first from enjoying who God is. And, I, and this, is, this is so tough for us, at least, at least for me. Maybe I'm speaking about personal experience this morning, not you. But even this week, as I prepared the sermon, yesterday I sit down in the morning, it's still dark, I sit down, my kids are about to wake up, they're so light sleepers and I get up there they, they just wake up and come and disturb me so I'm sneaking around trying to sit there and have a quiet time and the first thing I say to the Lord I open up and I go Lord I am preaching tomorrow <laughs> I run straight to the task and I catch myself and I go jeez I'm here for, why am I here oh no Lord I'm here to enjoy you that's what I'm here for does that mean that we can't run to God to ask him for things of course not when Jesus teaches us how to pray, uh, the, the second half of the Lord's prayers, give us our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others, and lead us not into temptation. Those are all requests, but how does he start? Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. It starts, our Father in heaven. Do you, know, do you see the authority and the compassion there uh, combined? Our Father, the compassionate sight in heaven, the authority. Oh, I'm reminded of who you are. Oh, Lord, I can delight in you and what you've done. And then it shifts down into his plans. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. May your name be hallowed. And then out of that, oh, Lord, let me help you. We are to start off by first coming and delighting in who he is. Delight in who he is. Enjoy him. That is where you find the strength that you need and get to know him. So often we run to the task and not to it. And, and man, run to Jesus often with requests. Run to him often with those things. I'm not saying don't. Don't hear what I'm not saying this morning. We see even in this text, we see that the disciples leave the synagogue, go to Simon's house, and as he walks into the home, he immediately tells Jesus of his sick mother. Are you struggling with sickness? Let the first person you tell be Jesus. Are you struggling with finances? Let the first person you tell be Christ. Are you struggling with being alone at the first person you tell be Jesus? Are you struggling with anything? Run to him first. Because he's the compassionate, authoritative God who can do something about it. I hope you see the two balances this morning. I'm closing, I promise. That Jesus is authoritative. He demands your all. He demands it. Are you to follow him? He wants every bit of you. Not, he's not satisfied with anything less. Oh, but can you see as well that he loves you with a compassion? And this call is not to harm you. This call is not so that you might suffer a horrible life and he would leave you just to smite you. But are in it, even in the suffering and following him, in it is for the best for you. He loves you and he's asked this of you. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we are thankful this morning that you are a God who loves us with the fullness of love. That you have an incredible compassionate God. But that compassion isn't just left by itself. A God who is compassionate but can't do anything about it, but also you are a God who is authoritative. You have an incredible authority. And Lord, you can, you can change any situation we find ourselves in. But also, Lord, the call out of this authority, out of this king, comes a call for all of us. And how quick we are to grasp and to hold on to things in our lives, hold on to sin, hold on to areas, and not let it go. I pray, Lord, that as we had sung this morning, that we are ready for you, bare and open before you. May our hearts be waiting to hear your call and we will go wherever you call us to go for the glory of Jesus Christ we pray and pour out your spirit upon us so that we might do this for the glory of Christ we ask this in Jesus name Amen will you please stand with me as we close off with a, a final song as we go into the of, um, of response want to encourage you as we reflect on who Jesus is and as we celebrate who he is to surrender your hearts to him to allow him into every part of you to surrender every part of your life to him because of what he has done for us and because of who he is
desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into
powerful declaration of what Joey's been preaching about, a wholehearted response to the Father to say, all that I am is for you. And I just feel that there's an opportunity this morning to still respond to that cry. And we're going to sing this uh, chorus again. And if you just feel in your heart that you want to say to him, Lord, everything that I am is for you, I want to invite you, just come up to the front it's a personal response to the Lord, but come and bow uh, here at the front on your knees, just arms stretched high and let him minister to you as you respond to the word that's been preached to you this morning, as you respond to the song that we are singing. So if you want to do that, we're going to sing the song one more time and we're coming up to the front here to just bow before the Father to say, Lord, everything that we have is for you. Come and give that response to him now as we sing the song one more time. of our whole lives. Lord, we want to declare this to you. We want to be wholehearted in our response to you. We are yours. We belong to you. 
Thank you, Lord, that as we leave this place this morning, we go, your spirit is with us. And there's opportunity throughout this day to enjoy you, to rejoice in our salvation, that we know you, Lord. And I pray that there would be such sweet time in your presence in the coming days and weeks as you just uh, revealed this afresh to us, the access that we have to you. And that there would be a consistent, wholehearted response from us to say, Lord, we don't want to live one foot in and one foot out. We want to live in full surrender and devotion to you. You control every part of us. Help us to repent of uh, our sinful ways that push us away from you. And help us to enjoy this wonderful relationship we have with you because of Christ. It's the end of the service, church. Enjoy some time fellowshipping together under the tent, and we'll see you again next week.